Welcome to Liberty and Justice with your host, Matt Whitaker. Welcome to Liberty and Justice. I'm Matt Whitaker. Today, I'm going to be talking about what a lot of folks are talking about around the country, and that is voting rights. And specifically, what is in the Democrats' bill pending in the Senate and in the House regarding voting rights? And what do they mean by voting rights? Well, this would be a fundamental change to a lot of states' voting um, regulations. And I wanted to dig deep into it and explain to you why this bill is a bad idea. First of all, as many of you know, the election clause of the Constitution provides primarily that elections are handled by the states. Now, as you see from the language, there is an ability for Congress to ultimately regulate elections for federal office. But traditionally and historically, that has been rarely exercised, only in certain extreme situations. In fact, the Constitution provides that the time, place, and manner for voting shall be governed primarily by the states. Now, you know, the Democrats have had two bills, uh, really three bills. You remember H.R. 1, uh, which was a complete disaster. But, you know, these two bills that they've now combined into one, first of all, one was the Freedom to Vote Act, and the other was the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. They've been combined into the Freedom to Vote John R. Lewis Act. And many of the provisions are concerning. Many of the provisions are straight out of H.R. 1. I think the first concern is when those bills were combined, they added the phrase that the bill and the, the law guarantees the right to vote, quote, free from any burden on the time, place, or manner of voting. Now, obviously, that is an exception that liberal courts could run a truck through. And as I look at it and think about how this would be applied uh, in the future, this could be the biggest challenge of this bill and one of the reasons why this bill is bad. But let's look at some of the other provisions of this bill. One is that it would require states to allow voters to apply for absentee ballots online. Obviously, this could be a potential area for fraud uh, and disaster. Uh, you know, and especially uh, when this is combined with another clause, and the other clause is the voter ID provision, which states that allow voter ID, there is a uniform, uh, both photo and non-photo list that can be presented. So a voter registers online, proceeds to the ballot location, or provides for an absentee ballot, and provides only a non photo ID. This could be a complete loophole uh, fraught with fraud and um, potential for non-voters, non-eligible voters to vote. Remember, the whole purpose of the voting laws is to make voting easy and fraud hard. So we want to make voting easy for legal voters to cast a legal ballot and have that vote counted, but also prevent illegal votes from being counted because that dilutes and cancels legal votes. Uh, and so we want to make fraud hard. Those two provisions, I think, are the most concerning. It also allows individuals to register to vote online, request an absentee ballot online, and it prohibits states from requiring that absentee ballots be notarized or 
have witnesses. And many states have looked at this, uh, either the notarization or witnessing, as a way to prevent potential fraud. Another area where this bill goes beyond uh, voting rights is requiring what, what they term dark money groups to disclose their donors. Obviously, this would infringe people's ability to associate under the First Amendment and you know, to protect their privacy and to prevent um, you know, patriots who donate to patriotic causes from being targeted by uh, you know, these liberal press and, and operatives that are going to attack them publicly. A couple other provisions, the Voting Rights Act, as it is termed, requires that polling places limit waiting to less than 30 minutes and also uh, reverses, uh, for example, the Georgia law that prevents people from providing food and water at the polling places people wait in line. Uh, that's another area where there is potential uh, for electioneering. There is a provision in this bill uh, that also uh, really severely limits a state's ability to take voters off the voting rolls, even if they are ineligible, deceased, or otherwise. Um, and then finally, uh, it provides for the establishment of specific redistricting criteria to ensure, quote-unquote, fair maps. Now, many states obviously do their own redistricting and should do their own redistricting. This would fundamentally change the way that redistricting is, is accomplished in the country. And so that is a brief overview of some of the most concerning provisions of the new Voting Rights Act pending in the Congress uh, as we speak. If you have more questions, you can always uh, send me a message at Whitaker.tv. I'm Matt Whitaker. This is Liberty and Justice. When we come back, we're going to talk to patriot and great American Lieutenant General Retired Keith Kellogg, who's going to be talking about his new book, War by Other Means. Liberty and Justice with Matt Whitaker. I'm so glad to be uh, joined right now by a true patriot and what one of the types of people that makes America great, General Keith Kellogg. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this interview uh, since we had it on the schedule. And, uh, you know, I mean, your, your career of service as a lieutenant general in the Army, you're now retired, you were the acting national security advisor, and you were chief of staff to the um, National Security Council, Council in addition to everything you've done in your career. But the reason I wanted to talk to you is, uh, is this new book you have out, War by Other Means. Why don't you tell us about that title, and then tell me the reason that, uh, that you wanted to write this book. Yeah, th thanks, man. <clears throat> yeah, I wanted to write the book. Uh, frankly, I got the impetus from President Trump when we were sitting in the Oval Office one day and he said, hey, you need to write a book. And I said, you know, Matt, you know, to, to, told the president, you know, Mr. President, I don't do books. He said, well, look, you've been with me for every single day. We've been in the White House, plus the, the time on the campaign. And I, and I was the only national security advisor that had been with him all uh, all four years. I, when, I, when you add up the time of um, um, uh, Mike Flynn and H.R. McMaster and John Bolton and Robert O'Brien, you put all their time together, I still beat him by 33 days. But the reason I wanted to write the book very candidly, Matt, was I wanted to give an unvarnished view of what I saw in President Trump and when, from the campaign through the four years. And because there's a caricature out there about Donald J. Trump, 
That is just not true. And you've known that because you've seen him and you've been in the Oval Office with him. He's, he has a different way of looking at the world. He, he's very, very thoughtful about how he approaches things. He's got a very firm belief on what we should be doing. He's a great leader. And I wanted people to see that because all they saw was the histronics that you say uh, on television and and, and sometimes the uh, when the lights, Krieg lights go on, uh, people would see a, a part of Donald Trump that I didn't see because I saw him in a very reflective mood going forward. So when I wrote the book, The War by Other Means, and thank you for mentioning it, uh, I took an old military uh, strategist named Carl Van Clausewitz that I had to study when I was in the military. And he wrote that politics is, uh, war is politics by other means. And I just took that time and I said, you know, that's really true because when you look at politics, it really is a war. It's a battlefield. Um, here in Washington, D.C., in this battlefield elsewhere. And I said, that's a good title for it, uh, that, I, that I wanted to, you know, show people that it actually is a battle. You have to fight for the the, the mind and soul of America. And I wanted to do that. But again, in, in, in a point I think is very, very important, the reason I made that comment about Donald J. Trump is, is I just saw him so much differently than what's being portrayed out there. He's made some incredibly good decisions. I was really proud of the four years that we handled in the White House, what we did. And he did some incredibly great things out there. And he made those decisions hard, uh, it, but it was very, very reflective. And it was also, when it, when we'd get together, it was very, very, very collaborative. So I was just proud to work with him. And I wanted to make sure I wrote a book that showed that and said, hey, look, there's another view out there that needs to be uh, read about. Yeah, and I want to encourage everyone to go out and get that book, uh, General Kellogg. It's called War by Other Means. Why don't you tell us, I know, having written a book myself, I, I know that there are, um, you know, you want to put those kind of intimate moments, uh, but you don't want to uh, betray confidences. So why don't you tell us one story from the book uh, so that so that to encourage all of our listeners to go out and get a copy, uh, like I have my copy, but, you know, why don't you tell one of those stories that you, that you have in the book uh, that, you know, was just kind of a remarkable moment in American history that you had a front row seat to. Yeah, well, the, the uh, probably the uh, probably the, uh, the the most important story um, that I saw there was when we went after Soleimani, when that decision was being made uh, to go after him, which was a pretty important moment uh, in our life, the, the attack on our embassy, and it was a very very collaborative approach. Sitting in at that time the Yellow Oval Office in the White House, um, and we sat around and we talked about it and. We, we knew it was going to be a pretty important moment in, in American history because the Iranians were causing us a lot of problems. And Soleimani was probably the, the most important guy that we had to get in Iran. And the president, you know, everybody was telling the president at the time that, you know, if you go after Soleimani, you're going to start World War III in the Middle East because he's so in, such a popular figure in Iran. Uh, and he's so important for Iran. But the president went around the room, and we just talked about it, and he, and he finally said, no, we need to get this guy. We need to send a message to the rest of the world that terrorism doesn't, um, you know, do, terrorism is not going to be tolerated. Going after Americans is not going to be tolerated. He's responsible for killing Americans. And uh, and as we were going around the room, he looked at me and he said, well, what do you think? And I said, yeah, I think you need to do it. I think we need, you know, you know we need to prepare to super escalate. Uh, if, if things really, really go bad, but everybody else, not everybody, 90% of people in the room said to him, well, Soleimani's not going to travel. He's obviously on a target list. And I said, no, he's going to travel because this was of hubris and he's going to travel outside of, um, of Iran and uh, it would be an opportunity to get him. And, and as a matter of fact, he did that. And the president made a really hard decision. And the reason that's such an important decision is Netanyahu 
then the prime minister of Israel said, after we'd killed Soleimani, he said, you know, you ate the, the arm of the tiger um, off. Uh, and because of, you know, doing that, the Middle East is going to calm down. And it actually did. But I, but Matt, let me give you a second quick story because it's so important with COVID right now. And, you know, it, we were sitting in the Oval Office after COVID was going on. And, and this, this really ties into Donald J. Trump. We were sitting there just talking after everything was going on. And he looked at me and he said, you know, I just want Americans to get better. And I said to him, Matt, stop right there. Go out and say that in front of the press. Because his empathy showed, his concern showed. And, and it was a simple comment that most people would never see that he really did care about what was happening. But he wanted to put forward a very, very confident uh Right, right. Um, move to the American people. And he didn't want to show any weakness because he said that's not what presidents should do. Is they shouldn't show weakness at all. Uh, and uh, and that was kind of the way he approached life. Was, I told him, you know, you're a lot like Winston Churchill. <laughs> and he started laughing. I said, no, you really are. There's a lot of what you do is, is in church. Well, a couple more minutes. Uh, I really want to get into uh, your thoughts on uh, the, the, the permanent damage that the Biden administration is doing to our foreign foreign policy and our national security. I, I know, you, again, you've had a front row seat to this. I mean, are we going to be able to put this genie back in the bottle, or are we are we going to be permanently weaker uh, because of these uh, terrible policies? You know, Matt, I don't think we're going to be permanently weaker, but we're really weak right now. And when you look at what's happening, there's actually three big issues on the, on happening right now in America uh, when it comes to national security. The first is clearly we're seeing uh, Russia and the problems we're having with Russia and Ukraine. And the second is China and what's doing with Taiwan and the expanding power of China. And then the third is the breakout of the Iranians, because they are, I guarantee you, Matt, they're going to break out with a nuclear weapon. And when I say breakout, that means they're going to have enough materials to create a, a single uh, a nuclear weapon. And then once you get that breakout, you, know, you have no idea where it's going to go to. And my concern with this current administration is they're walking past the graveyard. They're just not, you know, concerned about anything that's going on. I don't care if it's immigration or Afghanistan, which was a debacle. And we had given them a clear way to solve that problem with Afghanistan. It wasn't, wasn't a perfect plan, but it was a pretty good plan to, to get out of Afghanistan and not leave it the way it is right now. And I think all of these issues with the Biden administration is they're just ignoring them. It's almost hoping that, you know, let's just hope the American people are going to be more concerned about who's playing football this weekend than, than actually what we're doing in Security. And, I, and I can, I'm concerned not only with the president, you know, Matt, in, in his cognitive ability, which I do have a concern about, uh, and the, but the other is his advisors. I have no idea who's advising him or where he's getting his advice from. Jake Sullivan's clearly not coming online as his national security advisor. Tony Blinken is giving, some, I think, some really bad advice. Lloyd Austin, who I've known for years, I question right now what he's telling the president. And because of that, we're becoming markedly weaker out there, and the allies and the, our adversaries see it as well. And that's the reason they're pushing back. And, I, and, I, and my concern for the next couple of years is I don't see this changing at all because the president has a pattern. Joe Biden has set a pattern of leadership and management, whatever you want to call it, from the past. And the, and I, the takeaway is, look, this is the guy who, when they were going to go after Osama bin Laden, a guy who killed thousands on 9-11 in the Situation Room, he argued that we not go after bin Laden when President Obama made that decision to go after him. This is the same guy that Secretary Gates, who was the director of the CIA, 
and also the former Secretary of Defense said Joe Biden has been wrong on nearly every national security decision in the last 40 years. And that pattern continues. And we all live by patterns. Everybody sets a pattern in life. You go to the, you drive the same way to work. You go to the same grocery store. You go to the same gas station, whatever it's going to be. The same is on decision making. And he's consistently bad on decision making. So that's the, the concern I've got is when somebody asked me a question recently, what's your biggest concern about national security? It's about the lack of will by the president of the United States and his lack of decision making. And, you know, people forget that making no decision is, in fact, a decision. And he's been doing that repeatedly. I think it's something that should concern single American. Yeah. General Kellogg, I really appreciate uh, you joining us this morning. I mean, you're so right on the challenges that China and Russia and Iran and all of these things uh, that we face. And so, you know, I appreciate you being on with us. I'm looking forward to seeing you so I can have my copy of the book, War by Other Means, signed by you. Uh, and uh, I wish you uh, all the best. Thanks. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I want to thank my friend, General Keith Kellogg, retired lieutenant general from the U.S. Army and former national security advisor to President Trump. What a great interview, insightful. And I encourage everyone listening to go out and get his book, War by Other Means. I have a link in my show notes, and you can get it on Amazon and any other place where you get good books. Again, it, that was General Keith Kellogg, former National Security Advisor for President Trump, and his new book, War by Other Means. Liberty and Justice with Matt Whitaker. 